Amen, amen. Amen. I don't, uh, don't need to dismiss the kids' church. The mass exodus, part two, took place. Amen. And so uh, we're staying. We go with the word of the Lord tonight, uh, Matthew 6 and 9 and 10. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. We're still looking for the kingdom of heaven to come to this earth. Amen. And we're following it through the Bible. And it's, it's coming here. It's on its way. Amen. And we're, uh, we're uh, almost there. Man, you may be seated tonight. So we're nearing that moment in time where the kingdom of heaven is going to manifest itself on the earth. But before it comes to this corrupted world, many things and events must take place in order to prepare it. I mean, think of... Uh, something uh, so heavenly and righteous and holy is going to come and manifest itself on the earth. Lots of things have to take place. From God's judgment and His wrath being poured out on this earth towards sin and those that take pleasure in unrighteousness. Because if something so pure and righteous and holy is going to descend out of heaven and set up here on the earth, there needs to be a deep cleaning that takes place here on the earth. And that is what most of the book of Revelation is about, reveals the end times and uh, the preparation, if you will, for the, the coming kingdom to this earth. And the wrath of God is broken down into three parts that we've been talking about, seals, the trumpets, and bowls, and each group having a, a, a set of seven. And if you could put up that picture... Uh, explains how the end time is is laid out with the the seals, the judgments, um, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowl judgments. It all begins with the rapture taking place, and so uh, what we're talking about here, uh, we pray to God that none of us are here for that, that we're all out of here, amen, and that uh, this will be taking place to those that are left behind. <clears throat> and so... We went through the six seals and unrolled and, and unleashed the, the, seventh, uh, the seven trumpets. And um, as we have just heard last week, the seventh trumpet sound. And, and what happened when that trumpet sounded was a voice that was declared in heaven that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. And so that angel is making a declaration that a transfer is getting ready to take place. The, the, the deed of this world is getting ready to change hands. It's about to leave Satan's hand and it's about to go into Jesus' hands, the, the rightful creator of this world. And with that trumpet sounding and that declaration being made, we saw Satan getting kicked out of heaven no longer allowed to come into the realm that he was once allowed into. And we see him being thrown and banished to the earth. His, his leash is being shortened, if you will, as he is confined uh, to this earth. No longer uh, able to come before the throne and to accuse uh, you and I and, and the saints of the Most High. Uh, he is banished to the earth. And so... Uh, we saw last week in, in chapters 12 and 13 of Revelation, we saw Satan's response to that seventh trumpet being sounded. Uh, basically, the, uh, his time was running out, and we see this recorded 
in Revelation 12 and 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and all that dwell in them. Uh, there's got to be people in heaven uh, to rejoice, right? Uh, and so rejoice, ye heavens, all those that dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. This is after the seventh trumpet is sounded. And so with, with three and a half years left, Satan unleashes his fury uh, against the nation of Israel. And we saw that Israel flees into the wilderness by the hand and protection of Almighty God, escapes there and hides out for the remainder of this time, uh, hiding out from the Antichrist. And it's amazing that if, if the Antichrist has so much power, uh, to prevent people from buying and selling without his mark. It's amazing. It's a miracle in itself that uh, a large amount, I don't know how many people, uh, Israelites, escape and flee to the wilderness, but uh, they, they escape and they hide from the, the Antichrist for the remainder of the three and a half years or so. Uh, with that much power and control, it's amazing. It's a miracle that they're able to hide out, but by the hand of God, if he can uh, put up a pillar of, of cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire by night to keep them from the Egypt, Egyptians, he can do this as well. Nothing is too hard for our God. Amen. And so uh, we can easily get lost trying to look into the details and try to figure out exactly how we think it's going to play out. We're not sure how it's all going to play out, uh, but uh, we know that God is in control. And so as Israel fled to the wilderness, uh, the Antichrist, as he said, sends a flood after them, most likely a massive army chasing them. But what happens? The earth opened up and swallowed up that flood, that army. And he uses, Satan uses the Antichrist, the false prophet, to take complete control over the earth at this time, preventing anybody from buying or selling unless they have his mark. And Satan is doing everything that he can to prevent and stop God's plan from happening, but we know that he can't do that. He's not that powerful to stop the will of God. Uh, and Satan's response to the seventh trumpet was recorded in chapters 12 and 13 that we covered last week. And it can make you kind of feel a little bit hopeless talking about uh, that, obviously, to the inhabitants in, in the earth or in the earth, it's woe to them, but those that are in heaven, like you and I, uh, we should be rejoicing because we are down here for this time. But uh, reading chapters 12 and 13 and, and Satan unleashing his fury, it can seem a little bit hopeless to those that are left here on the earth. But Revelation 14 is written uh, to give hope. It's God's way of saying that everything is going to be okay, that everything is still in my control, in my hands. Even after what Satan does and all the, the fury he unleashes on Israel in this world, uh, chapter 14 comes to bring us hope. And we see in verse 1, it says, I, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. Uh, we're going to get into this, but uh, making this declaration right here, it's, it seems like this Mount Zion is not the Mount Zion in, in Israel. It seems to be Mount Zion in, in heaven, like a heavenly mountain, uh, Mount Zion. 
Uh, because just as we saw a, a temple in heaven, and there's a temple on the earth, we saw an ark in heaven, an ark in the earth. There may appear to be a mountain, Mount Zion in heaven, and we'll see that come to, plat, come to pass. Verse 1, and, and I looked, and lo, and behold, a lamb stood there on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their heads. Now, you remember the 144,000 that were introduced in, I think it was chapter 7, that God had sealed, uh, sealed 12,000 from every tribe. Now, we are, we are shown here that the 144,000 uh, are standing with the Lamb in heaven. And how do you think they got there? How do you get from earth to heaven uh, unless you are, are, are killed? Most likely, they were martyred. Uh, to get to heaven. And verse 2, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, as the voice of a great thunder. I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, who sung? Uh, the 144,000 sung. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders. Where are the four beasts and the elders? They're all in heaven, right? Those are introduced in verse 5. Uh, and so the 144,000 must be in heaven. Uh, and so therefore that Mount Zion must be in heaven as well, or assuming that. Uh, and so they sung a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So they're no longer in the earth. They're redeemed. Uh, and so it, it would have to appear that these 144,000 were killed uh, at this time uh, when Satan unleashed his fury on the earth and against Israel. And, and so these 144,000 are singing a song that no one else knows. Only they know it and only they can sing it. And this is their worship to God. Worship to the Lamb of God, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and that really, that's what worship really is, isn't it? it? Your worship to God is different than my worship to God. Even though we're worshiping the same God, you haven't been through what I've been through, and I haven't been through what you've been through. And so even though we may sing the same song, we're singing a different tune to God because of our experiences, because of our life, what we've all been through. Your song is different than my song. And that's what worship is. It's personal. It's between you and God. Your life, your relationship with God is, is how you worship Him. And all that God has done for you is in your worship. All that He's brought you through is, is sounded and, and heard in your worship. And only you can sing that song in your life to God. And so here these 144,000 are singing a song that no one else knows. Why? Because nobody went through what they went through. What did they go through? Not sure. But somehow they're, they're, uh, they escaped the earth and they're in heaven. Possibly, most likely, they were martyred. Uh, and so 144,000 are worshiping God after all that they have been through because God saved them and delivered them and now they are in heaven. And, and God can save people through death, can't he? And so maybe this is uh, how they all got there. Uh, Revelation 14 and 4. And these are they which were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. 
these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Uh, and so about halfway through the tribulation period, it seems 144,000 that were sealed are now killed or, or, and delivered up into heaven. And they are called the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And so what does it mean to be a first fruit? Well, it means you're not the last fruit, so you're the first fruit. Uh, so the first fruit is kind of like, is likened unto the tithe. When, when Israel would, ha they would have to give an offering of their first fruits. Their, when the harvest came, the first harvest, they would give that to God as their first fruits. Um, and, and so they were able to keep the rest of the harvest. And so first fruits means obviously a, a terminology of harvest time. And these 144,000 uh, are called the first fruit from Israel, which means... At least it means that there, there's a greater harvest to come. If these are just the first to come to be redeemed from the earth, then there's many more Israelites that are going to be redeemed uh, from the earth. And so, remember, this chapter is intended to give hope uh, because of chapters 12 and 13, the, 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 the Satan's chapter. And so this chapter gives us hope. Uh, the two previous chapters, we got to see Satan's fury. And so... This gives us hope and reassures us what is going to happen that no matter how mad Satan gets, no matter how bad the world gets, God is still in control and it's his will that's going to be done. And so chapter 14 reassures the readers uh, of what's going to happen and what will happen because of, of the dark chapters of 12 and 13. And, and so chapter verse 6, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, every kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And, and so one, one more time, one more proclamation, the angel declares the gospel that you need to worship God uh, and him only should you serve because he made everything and he deserves glory and honor and praise. And so verse 8, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now this, uh, again, this hasn't happened yet. This is uh, a chapter of hope telling us of the things that are getting ready to come. And so the, the Babylon is, is gone more into detail in chapters 17 and 18. But here it gives us hope that the mighty city of Babylon is going to be destroyed. Uh, and it is here where we can easily get many interpretations about Babylon. Some say Babylon is symbolic and it uh, applies to others. Some say it's, it's a spiritual reference. Um, and some say that uh, Rome is Babylon, and the, or the Catholic Church is, is Babylon, the great harlot. And some even said that America is Babylon, the, uh, the, the great horrible uh, country of America. Uh, and so there's all kinds of different interpretations out there of Babylon, who the, what Babylon is. But here's another interpretation to throw into the mixer. 
is that Babylon could actually mean the city of Babylon. There is a city uh, in Babylon. Well, we, we know there was a city of Babylon. Uh, Babylon is actually in Iraq, just south of Baghdad. That's the actual physical location of the, the once uh, great city of Babylon. Uh, Babylon, the city of Babel, where the, the mighty tower was built, Tower of Babel. And after the flood, that represented the pinnacle of man's defiance against God and against his commandments. They're not going to go and do what God wanted to do. We're going to stay here and we'll build a tower, as we talked about, to defy God's commandments and to save our own selves from any future floods. And so the Tower of Babel was a, represented the pinnacle of man's defiance to God. That same city, Babylon, is where King Nebuchadnezzar built his kingdom. The city where Daniel and the Hebrew boys lived. And it, it seems that all throughout history, whenever the city of Babylon arises, it stands in defiance to God's will and God's people. And every single time that the Bible references Babylon, it's referencing the actual real life city. Uh, but we get to Revelation and uh, the angel proclaims that Babylon, the great city, has fallen and and people attach many different meanings to Babylon, uh, like I said, symbolic, spiritual, or, or different countries. Uh, but not many really say that it's the actual city in Iraq. Why? Because there's nothing over there but a pile of dirt. Uh, and, and so it's, there's nothing there except thousands-year-old bricks in Babylon right now. And so we read this and we say there's no Babylon currently, so it must mean something else. It must mean America, the great horrible country or whatever, whatever people say about it, uh, or some other, uh, some other nation. Uh, but let me ask you this. Well, I guess I can just ask Buck. When you were reading the Bible 100 years ago, when you're reading the Bible 100 years ago and it talked about the nation of Israel, and they looked around at the current map of the world and said, there's no Israel here. Did people back then apply Israel to something else because Israel wasn't around? I, I think it's entirely possible and highly probable that the city of Babylon can be rebuilt. And, and at some point in the near future, it could be. Uh, that's why the angel says the city of Babylon has fallen. And, and that the Antichrist could very well uh, establish his rule and reign from this city of Babylon. I mean, it, it fits, doesn't it, with all the history of the city of Babylon. And, and here in the last days, one last time, one last stand, one last resistance, man rebuilds the city uh, of Babylon in defiance of God. Well, you may say, well, Babylon can't be built uh, from nothing in a matter of a few years. But I, I, I think about it and say, if the Antichrist has full control of the world and controls everything with his mark, every transaction, every purchase of goods is done by his mark, and if the Antichrist wanted to rebuild Babylon, how long do you think it would take with access to all the resources of the world? To say, hey, I want, I want Babylon to be rebuilt. How long would that take? I mean, we see these communities popping up all, all over this place in a matter of six months. I mean, if, they, if you had total control over the world and you say, I want that city rebuilt, you can send all workers from every nation and you can have that thing rebuilt. 
in a matter of uh, uh, months or years. I don't know. But uh, I think Babylon in Revelation could actually be the actual city, a, a future rebuilt city. Again, I'm not, uh, we don't know. Uh, it could be, could, could not be. Uh, but a, a man by the name of uh, Saddam Hussein was rebuilding parts of Babylon. Uh, he built a large palace on the ancient site where uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar used to have his palace. And so Saddam Hussein uh, started to rebuild in Babylon, but uh, something happened to him. Uh, but even in, in 2019, Babylon was added to the list of world heritage sites of all the time and all the years. In 2019, all of a sudden now Babylon comes uh, to the surface and is added to the world heritage sites. Because there have been groups and organizations that have been trying to rebuild and restore Babylon from its ancient roots. And so I think with the help of the Antichrist that that could actually be very well be possible. Uh, and so that maybe the Re Babylon in Revelation is the rebuilt city. Uh, you see what they did uh, over there in Dubai. I mean, that was a desert uh, few decades ago now it's 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 incredible to see the pictures out there and so I think it's highly possible uh, that it could be uh, a rebuilt city in the headquarters of the final resistance of the Antichrist uh, and so verse 8 and there followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen is fallen the great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. You remember in 12 and 13, uh, Satan unleashes these beasts and they, they take control over the earth. And so here in 14 it says, hey... Uh, that's fine what they did, but we're just warning you, giving you some hope that whoever takes that uh, mark is not going to be good for them. The smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who, works, who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And so end time believers will most certainly be threatened with death. In the, in the tribulation period, most certainly they're probably going to be threatened with death. As we have seen, the 144,000 uh, appeared to be martyred and in heaven, worshiping God. And here a voice says, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord henceforth. The thing is, is that this world doesn't understand. Is that you cannot threaten a Christian with death. You cannot threaten Christian with death. Because we are told to be absent in the body is what? To be present with the Lord. How is that a threat? The world thinks it's a threat because they fear death. Uh, a threat to kill a Christian is like saying, if you don't do this, if you don't take this mark, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you and you're going to blink your eyes and you're going to be in heaven with Jesus. So you better do that so you can stay here. 
And, and so death is not a threat to an apostolic because Jesus took away the fear of death. He took away the threat of death. We don't have to worry about death. We don't got to fear that. And so the world will try to threaten Christians and believers with death. But uh, time and time again, Christians are not afraid of death. We see this uh, in Hebrews 2 and 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it has become him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bring in many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, and the children of which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so through Jesus' death, he delivered everybody, every believer, through the, to the, from the fear of death. You don't got to worry about death any longer. Since the beginning of time, man has feared death and feared dying. But Jesus comes along and he says, let me show you just how much power death has. He was crucified and, and killed and everyone was saddened. But we know what happened three days later. Jesus comes walking out with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so we don't have to fear death any longer. Those believers in the tribulation period, that this chapter is for them. This chapter is to give them hope. Don't fear Satan. Don't fear the Antichrist. Don't fear Babylon or the beast because they may threaten you with death. But Jesus has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he has overcome the world. And so all we got to do is put our faith and our trust in him. And we don't got to worry about what happens because Jesus will take care of it. Well, the Bible says that they will overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love their lives not unto death. And, and they didn't fear death. Why? Because Jesus took away that fear. Through his death, we don't have to be a servant to fear of death any longer because we know uh, when, when we die, we go to be with him. And so that, there's no longer a threat there. But the world, uh, they, have, they haven't read the Bible, so they don't, they don't know that. That it's more of an invitation to a Christian. Uh, you know, you can't threaten us with heaven because we're, we're ready to go, right? Uh, and, and so uh, that's most likely what's going to happen a lot in the uh, tribulation period. Uh, even it, Ezekiel talks about uh, how two-thirds of, of Israel will be put through the fire uh, and killed uh, so that the, the one-third will be brought to faith and, and understand their, their, who their Messiah really is, Jesus Christ. And they will finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so uh, death is a powerful tool, but it's not something that we should fear as believers because uh, Jesus holds the key to that. And to be absent in body, as I said, is to be present with the Lord. Musicians, if you would come.
And so Revelation 14 and 14, and I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud once sat, like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And so the Son of Man is obviously always a reference to God. And so here we see in a picture of uh, God, I guess, coming on to sitting on a cloud, and he has uh, a sharp sickle in his hand. And what are sickles used for? They're used for harvesting, cutting down, uh, cutting through uh, wheat and, or whatever, whatever harvest it is. And so uh, here God is uh, likened unto sitting unto a cloud with a sharp sickle in his hand. Verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And what we're getting ready is to happen here is a harvest is about to take place. Now normally... We, we think of harvest and a harvest of souls, and we think of revival, right? Uh, that's our mindset. That's our, our, our frame uh, of, of reference for harvest and revival. And, well, when God is sitting on the cloud with a sharp sickle and is told by the angel, the earth is ready, thrust your sickle, Lord, into the earth because it's ripe. It's ripe with sin. It's ripe. It's ready to go. It's ready to be cut. Just like what, what God told Abraham about the Amorites in the land, we see in, in Genesis 15 and 13, he said unto Abram, Know of a certainty that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and after, afterwards shall they come out with a great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, where to the promised land. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not full yet. And, and so what we see is obviously there's wickedness in the land already right there presently with Abram. Uh, but God says it's not time yet. The iniquity of the Amorites is not full. It's not where it needs to be. It's not ripe ready to be harvested, uh, because when the Amorites' iniquity is full, it will be the precise time that I bring Israel into the land and to conquer them. Therefore, their judgment uh, has come because their iniquity is full and ready. But here in Revelation, sin, iniquity, and lawlessness and rebellion has reached its fullness, and God says it is enough, and the time has come. And he has a sharp sickle and he thrusts it into the earth. And this is not a revival of harvest uh, of the righteous saints because they're already in heaven rejoicing. Uh, and so this is going to be a harvest of the wicked. Uh, and this is what uh, Jesus referred to in the parable in, in, in Matthew chapter 13. Another parable put he forth unto them saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. 
And so the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then has it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done it. The, the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, the root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so... Uh, remember, in Revelation, we're talking about this hasn't is not happening yet. It's getting ready to happen. And so it gives us hope uh, of what will be happening very shortly at the Battle of Armageddon where the uh, God's sickle comes down and, a, and a, their harvest uh, of happens in the earth. And so Revelation 14 and 15, another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice. And to him that sat on the cloud, thrust thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. You see, it can't be the it can't be a harvest of righteous the righteous because it's cast into the winepress of God's wrath. So it's the harvest of the wicked at the battle of Armageddon. And the wine press was trodden without the city. And so what city is that? Is the center of the battle of Armageddon is, is Jerusalem. And what does it say? The wine press was trodden without the city. And the blood came out of the wine press, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And so... Uh, Revelation tells us of, of something that's getting ready to happen, uh, the, the great and mighty harvest at the end time uh, where uh, God's wrath is being poured out. If you stand with me tonight. And so the harvest that will happen at the battle of Armageddon, where we're told of all the nations of the world are gathering together and surrounds Jerusalem, surrounds God's people. And you can imagine the, the, the mindset of the Israelites there, the Jews, when the whole, literally the entire world comes against you and they're right there at your doorstep. Uh, you can imagine that they are literally broken because right now, I, think, I would think in their minds, they don't necessarily need a Savior because they got America. America's got Israel's back. But what happens if America turns on Israel? Who, who else does Israel have? They're going to have to learn to trust in God again. They're going to have to learn to, to believe in Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of the 70th week of Daniel, uh, to put Israel through that time so that they can turn their eyes to the, where their help really comes from. And not from America, it comes from, 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 from God himself. Uh, and so the harvest that is going to happen at Armageddon, where God himself is going to come to the aid of Israel. God himself is coming. 
And when God swings his sharp sickle through the earth, the Bible says that the blood from all of these wicked tares, the blood will be so much that it will go up to the horse's bridle, which is an average about four feet high. And this blood is going to be four feet high and it's going to spread for 200 miles. Imagine how much blood that is. Talk about a harvest of a sharp sickle at the battle of Armageddon where, where God just comes in and he, he does, he swings it, swings his sickle and all of these people are, are wiped out. Uh, that happens because Israel finally turned and believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. When, when all else fails, God will always be there. He comes right on time. He doesn't always show up when we want him to, but God always shows up right on time. And this is what happens in these last days. Uh, the world surrounds Israel, and God says, it's time for me to come. It's time for me to save my people. And he comes. The eastern sky is split open. He comes in on the white horse, and, and the armies in heaven uh, follow behind. Him and guess what? He touches down on Mount Zion and it, it splits. And that's when the, this, this happens. I don't know exactly how it plays out, but we're told that it's just a massacre. Uh, blood four feet deep and 200 miles long. Why? Because the great harvest is ready and because God's will is going to be done. It doesn't matter what Satan does. It doesn't matter what he says. God's will is going to be done. Amen. And we're going to fall upon the word of God. We're going to believe the word and we're going to worship God because he is always there, isn't he? He's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's going to rapture us out of here, take us out of here in these last days. Amen. And we're going to be in heaven worshiping him, are we? Why don't we do that tonight? Why don't we worship him? Why don't we lift up the name of Jesus? Jesus. Why don't we magnify him? Hallelujah. Thank him for what he's going to do in our lives. Hallelujah for our salvation. How great, How great is our God, Jesus. Is our we thank God. you for your word. Oh, sing with me. For your promises. The assurance. God. And all will see Hallelujah. That even though we go through hard times, you're always going to be there. You'll make a way where there seems to be no way. You always come at the right time, Lord. How great you are, Jesus. How great you are. Sing with me. How Yeah. 
Can we praise him one more time? Can we lift up the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. How great you are, Jesus. You are great and greatly to be praised. There's no one like you, no one beside you. We lift you up, Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, for your grace and your mercy. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And we're finally going to get into uh, the seven bowls that wrap up the, the final time of tribulation. We'll get into that next week where the kingdom of heaven will finally begin coming to this earth. Amen. We want it to come, but there's still some things that has to happen. Amen. It's all laid out here in the word of God, and we want to adhere to it and believe in it. Amen. Because the word of God is never going to pass, never fade away. It's forever settled in heaven. Amen. We have something to stand upon. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.